morning. The scripture reading from this morning will come from the book of John, the 10th chapter, commencing in verse 7 and culminating in verse 10. And it reads, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is God's word. You may be seated. Inside of that announcement sheet, you'll find an outline for the sermon that we're going to use this morning. And while you're getting that out, uh, let me say once again, especially to those who, who came in after we got started, Happy Mother's Day to you, to all you moms. Uh, also, all the songs we sang this morning were picked out by moms. I sent uh, a lot of text messages out to, uh, to moms from the youngest and those that are really about to become moms, all the way to moms who have been for a long, long time, have been raising kids and being a mom and taking care of kids and all those kinds of things. And we wanted this morning to, to, to really reflect our love for moms. And so they picked out the songs. The songs that we're singing this morning have, were, were some that were chosen by lots of moms, and that's why we took them. Uh, we're going to keep a record of those songs, and next year we're going to do the same thing, and we'll ask uh, some of the moms to, uh, to supplement that list with, uh, with their own, uh, their own uh, choices. Also, as you're leaving this morning, we have presents for all the moms. As you go out through these, these main three doors, there's going to be a present for you that one of our little ones are, is going to give you. So make sure when you leave that you pick up one of those. And then uh, every, every, at the end of every sermon, uh, basically 99% of the time, you're going to find me at the center aisle. Uh, what we do in our family is... Um, on, on Mother's Day, I try to get out of here as quickly as I can so that Ellen doesn't have to cook. We're having some folks over to the house, a large family, for, for dinner today. And part of our tradition is for one Sunday out of the year, for me to be able to get out of here and to make sure that the table is set and figure out what I'm going to make and then fix dinner. And uh, actually, it's already in the oven right now, and I'm going to make sure that she just gets home and is able to enjoy that meal. Uh, one of the things that happens to you when you get older in life is, is you think back on things that happened to you, as Richard was talking about, that happened to you when you were a kid, and you feel blessed, and you feel uh, wonderful if, if you had a great mom that blessed your life, and there's always stories that my brothers and I would tell when we go around the table, and one of them that I've not told you is that when we were, we were little, I was probably just right in the middle or maybe towards the end of, of elementary school, my brothers and I, there were three of us we, we didn't have any sisters. My mother grew up in a household that was just full of little Tarzans. And, and you know, bless her heart, she, she did great. She was, she was a wonderful mom. She decided to treat herself one time, and she found uh, a mud pack, and she was putting it on her face. So we, the three of us, little Tarzan juniors, were walking down the hallway, and she came out, and she had curlers and a robe, and she had this green gunk all over her face. All we could see were her eyes and her mouth, and we stopped dead in our tracks. And one of my little brothers behind me said, are you our mother, or are you a monster? And my mom wanted to have a little fun with us because, you know, we were always having fun with her. She goes, rah! 
And we said, we knew it! And we took off down the hallway running. And we were in therapy for years. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day, Mom. (laughs) Mother's Day, I think, is a really important day. Mothers are important. Would you agree with that statement? They leave their mark on our lives, a significant, indelible mark. But as Brett prayed this morning in a, in a really beautiful prayer, it's also a sad day for many because it's a reminder that life has taken an unexpected and sad turn. Your life doesn't look like what you expected. And I, I just want to say, uh, as your minister, that while we might not understand all that you're feeling, we want to be to you, your family, and walk beside you and love you and be there with you. Let's bow our heads one more time for prayer. Father, today we are reminded how you, through our mothers, have taught us what giving to others sacrificially looks like. And through our mothers, you have taught us what the giving of a self for a lot of humans who are dependent, what that looks like. You have shown us through our mothers what forgiveness looks like when we are wrong. We know what that forgiveness feels like. And through our moms, you also remind us that there is one who heals us in our bodies, and in our hearts, and that that is the truest of realities. We are grateful, Father, for what we experience experience in our mothers that illustrates a part of you that is like a mother. And so as we, we think about this text this morning, Father, that has been read for us, We ask that you give all of us this morning eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way that we are blessed and you are glorified. And this we pray with thankfulness in our heart, in Christ's name, amen. Sometime back, maybe about two and a half years ago, I I preached a sermon where I used this term, F-O-M-O, FOMO, which I, I guess had been coined by Time Magazine, And it's an acronym, which means fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. That fear of missing out is is causing a lot of stress, not a little anxiety in our lives. We see primarily through social media, we, we see what appears to be these great lives of other people, what they're living, cars they drive, the houses they live in, the clothes they wear, what they look like after two years, ten years at CrossFit, and we feel like we're missing out on something. And it's a life that we want. And to get that life, a lot of times we overbook. We do. And we overspend, and we overdraw, and we overvalue. And this is what we're probably most guilty of. We overvalue what other people might think of us or our family or our stuff. And the motive is not bad. I mean, it's all done in the name of having a great life and having a great family. Who doesn't want all of that? But there's a piece of wisdom that comes from the Bible that has to be embraced before that great life and all of that takes place inside of us. And it's this, the abundant life where your life feels like it's overflowing 
on the best of days and more than sufficient on the worst of days, it begins on the inside. Regardless of the outside, it begins on the inside. And you move from fear of missing out to NFMO, never fearing missing out. And that's that, that phase in life where you, you go, I, I have it all begins with three habits, I think. Not just for our mothers, but for fathers and for all of us here this morning. The first one is this. We connect to Jesus profoundly and significantly. In John 15, John, uh, John is, is, teach, is, is using a teaching of Jesus where he's using this metaphor that everybody that's listening to him would have gotten. They were an agricultural community, an agricultural society, and he uses uh, a, a vine. And, and the branches, probably a fruit vine, probably a grapevine, to illustrate a really profound point. And he says, if a branch breaks off of the vine, no fruit will ever grow on that branch. It's disconnected. And if that branch did have some, some fruit on it, that fruit will wither. Why? Because there's no relationship between the branch and the vine, and that vine is the source of life. Now, one of the things that we all have experienced is that relationship through connected, uh, connectedness is really the key to having a, a, not just a healthy life, but, but having, having a, a, a healthy view of that life. Jesus says in John 15, he says, I'm the vine. That is, I'm the source. You are the branches. You're connected to me. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to be beautiful. If you're a grapevine, it's grapes. If it's, you know, some, some other kind of fruit, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to look beautiful. You're going to flower. You're going to, have, you're going to bud and flower in places that you didn't even know that you had that as a part of your life. But apart from me, he continues, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying and what all of the Bible is trying to say to all of us is that God wants to be the primary relationship in your life. And what is the key to any relationship that's healthy and, and that connects and is moving towards intimacy? Time and talking. Talking and time. If Ellen and I were doing the, the dynamic marriage stuff, we would say it this way. It's quality time and conversation. Healthy relationships take time for there to be discovery. It just takes time. You're not going to learn everything about a person the first time you meet them, first time you have a conversation. Even after 25 years of marriage, I could say that I still was, just, I was discovering things about Ellen. And now that we're staring 36 years in the eyeball, I'm saying that there are still things in her life that are blossoming. It takes time for discovery. It takes time to discover attributes. I mean, think about... You know, first time you go on a date, this guy may, or this girl may not even have a sense of humor. You may not discover that until the fifth date. But it takes time. Or whether or not they're strong. Or whether or not they're smart. Intelligent. It takes time to discover their character. Whether or not they're honest. Whether or not they're truthful. Whether or not they're hardworking. It takes time. Can you imagine, ever imagine, a wife saying about her husband, we've been married for 40 years and I don't have... I, I don't know the first thing about him. I don't have a clue. Forty years. We, we can't imagine that. That is the saddest of all relationships. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of folk around the world who say that they've been Christians all their life. But they couldn't tell you the first thing about the Christ. 
they have a hard time and a struggle even telling you why they believe. Time is for discovery. It's not just passage. It's, it's for discovery and for remembering and things being implement, uh, uh, in, indelibly imprinted on your heart. But it also takes talking. It takes dialogue. It takes conversation. It takes prayer when it comes to God. It takes Scripture. Here's a really important verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Paul's telling you know, the folks in Thessalonica, here's how you pray continually. I remember the first time I read and thought about that verse, it was revolutionizing to me. That this, it, was, it was different. It was not just a discipline, even though it is. It wasn't merely a discipline, but a lifestyle. Think about all of the kinds of dialogue, all the kinds of emotion that you find in the prayers throughout the Bible. Just think about the Psalms. There's anger and there's frustration. And there's fear. And sometimes that anger is pointed at God, and sometimes that fear is pointed to God because you're angry with somebody else. And there are times when there's love and there's happiness. There, the psalmists pray their hurts, their disappointments, those times of uncertainty when it feels like they're in a dark, dark room. And then there are those prayers. There are those prayers in the Bible where you can just tell it's elation. They're all there. And that's how prayer becomes continual. It rolls through all the emotions that a human can experience. And the bottom line is this. Intimate connections are created through time and communication and knowledge and experiences that you share with another person. So you connect to the Christ in a really significant way. The second thing, count the blessings. I mean, really, when's the last time, except maybe when we sang the song... When's the last time you counted the blessings in your life? Just sat down and for five to ten minutes just said, you know, I'm a blessed person because of A, B, C, D, Z, and double Z. When people look at your life, would they describe you as a grateful person or a griper? Now be honest. There are a lot of health benefits to being a thankful person. The, the magazines tell us about these things. Being thankful releases all kinds of chemicals in the body from serotonin to dopamine that creates pleasure. But the biggest reason for being thankful is for what God has done in your life. And the biggest reason for being thankful is that who you are as a Christian is a reflection of who God is. Think about Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, you know, when you talk... There should be no obscenity, there should be no foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place. Of those three, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking, do you think griping might be in light of the fact that we are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth and live our lives in the presence of God? There shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather what? Say it together. Thanksgiving. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, the second chapter. He says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, in His presence, rooted, that's your foundation, and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. 
Dallas Willard, in the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, makes one of the most profound points, I think, when it comes to this idea of thankfulness and happiness and joy. He says, normally, our success in overcoming temptation will be easier if we are basically happy in our lives. He's saying, you want to you do better when it comes to temptation in your life? Try happiness in God. To cut off the joys and pleasures associated with our bodily and social existence as unspiritual, then, can actually have the effect of weakening us in our efforts to do what is right. It makes it impossible for us to see and to draw strength from the goodness of rightness. What he is saying there is that if you want to do a, a better job, if you want to be more effective when it comes to, to, to dealing with temptation and overcoming temptation, then be happy in God. Be ecstatic in God. Learn how to be happy in God. Learn that the Christian life, the life of a disciple, is one of joy and of peace and of love and of, and of kindness. And it just it's abundant and it's complete. And when you move closer and closer to that kind of life, what happens to the temptations of the world? They begin to not look so great. Does complaining work? The answer is, what? No. Does complaining work? Say it together. No. You can't change the weather by complaining about it. You can't change your health by complaining about it. You can't change another person by complaining. Complaining as a life strategy is a total waste of time. Why? Because God wants you to see Him at work in your life. God wants you to see him active in how he's blessing you. A practical thing you can do today is, is write down on a piece of paper the 10 things you're thankful for and put it next to the nightstand or hang it up on the mirror where you're shaving or, or uh, brushing your teeth so that it's one of the first things that you see in the morning. Or do it. One of the things I do, I have a lot of pictures of my granddaughter. Man, what a blessing. I mean, I have a phenomenal wife. I have great kids. I have a great son-in-law. But I look at that picture of, uh, of uh, Blair, and I'm a happy dude. And sometimes during the day, I'll just take it out and look at it. And it just changes my whole disposition. I'm grateful for these people. But take that list. Write, write down ten things. It doesn't have to be profound. It just has to be your list. Make a list. It can be God and a job, a spouse and a house, kids and a fridge, wellness and happiness, a church called Mac, friends who have my back. It's a simple list. It doesn't have to rhyme. <laughs> but I'm a poet. <laughs> and then finally, choose contentment. Just choose it. Just say, God, I want to be content today. Help me by making me acutely and keenly aware of your presence in my life. You know where discontent finds its source? Comparisons. I mean, we're looking around at all of the things that are going on in other people's lives. I mean, that, uh, what was the name of that guy, Robin, something or other, the, the, the Lives of the Rich and Famous? That guy did more to create more discontent in the world than any other human being. But we look around and we compare what's going on in our lives as opposed to what's going on in other people's lives and we choose to be discontented. I heard a preacher say one time in a sermon, when you get to heaven, God is not going to ask you, why weren't your kids like your neighbor's kids? 
He's not, when you get to the gate and to judgment in the book of life, he's going to say, why were you more like your sister? He's not going to ask you, how come you did not get a house and a car like your neighbor? Or why didn't you become famous like Oprah? The reason God does not do that is because he doesn't want you to be like anyone else. He wants you to be you. He wants you to be you. God wants you to be you in a way that reminds people of him. And so Paul says to Timothy, who's living in Ephesus, a lot of things about thankfulness written to the church and to the people in Ephesus, Timothy, one of them. He says, godliness with contentment. You know what that is? That's great gain. It's not just gain. It's great gain. It's, it's a great life when you have a, a, a life that is committed to, to God and you find in that commitment to God that you have all that you need and you're content. That, my friends, is a great life. Do you know that it's impossible to unlearn things in this life? One of the big things that happens in the kingdom of God is that you change. And you change by unlearning things and learning new things. For instance, you unlearn selfishness by serving other people. You unlearn self-centeredness by, by listening to other people. You know how you unlearn greed or materialism? By learning to be generous and giving it away. Do you know how you unlearn cruelty or meanness? Our sarcasm is by choosing to say and do kind things. How do you unlearn gossip? By learning the discipline and the art of being silent. You get the idea. You know how you begin to, to move your life more and more in the direction of contentment? You learn how to live humbly in other people's lives in romans 12 at the end of the chapter paul says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them all right paul we can do that he says rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another that's a little bit tougher paul you know, people who struggle with a deep sense of discontent, they do the complete opposite. They weep when other people have the greatest of reasons to rejoice. And they rejoice when other people have the greatest of reasons to weep. We began talking this morning, this message, about the modern problem of FOMO, fear of missing out. When, when we begin to bring these three habits into our, and they're simple, right? It's about being connected to, to, to God, to being connected to Jesus. It's about, it's about counting the blessings that in, are in our life. That doesn't mean that there are, are not negative things or hurtful things that come into our life. But we count the blessings to see that God really is at work in my life, even though this particular stretch of the road is not that great. And we choose contentment. Just every morning we pray, God, you're all that there is. You're all that I will ever want. You're all that I will ever need. I choose to be content and joyful 
and peaceful and happy in your presence and as your child. Fear of missing out. No. We bring these three habits about in our life. We realize that God is the center of life and that He wisely blesses us with everything I need for which we're thankful and we're grateful. And even though sometimes we're disappointed because it's not what we really want, we understand Him him to be God, all wise. And He's blessing me with what I need. And when I really sit down and think about it, I realize that I, what, what else is there that I would need in this life? And then it dawns on me. I don't need anything. I'm content. And it's then that you begin to realize that the fear of missing out, I'm a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Bought with a price. Shown immeasurable love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. I have been blessed by the most patient, the most profoundly forbearing being in the universe. And my conscience is clean. And I have everything that I need in love. From the food that I eat to the clothes that I wear to a clean conscience, even though I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and still make mistakes by, by the bushel, I'm content to know that all of eternity, and you too, all of eternity laid out before us in His presence. I never fear of missing out because of everything, everything that needed to be done on the inside is being done. Does that sound good? Not being thrown around by social media, not being tossed to the ground by images we see on the television, not not feeling fearful that that something's going to pass us by by what we saw on a billboard or heard on the radio, But, but knowing that regardless of wherever I find myself, even if it's living in a cardboard box, that God is everything. And when you have that, you don't miss out. I don't want you to miss out on eternity. I don't. I want to ask you this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of the Creator of the heavens and the earth? If not, I want you to fear missing out on that but we'll have some of our shepherds down here at the front who can talk to you about how you can be blessed with the assurance that you are a child of God in such a way that no one, if he holds you in his hands, no one will be able to pluck you out. And that all of the things, all of the riches, all of the storehouse of blessings that are are needed and meaningful to human existence are going to be poured into your life. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Sometimes it means that you're going to get poor but you have Him who is the greatest of treasures. If that describes you this morning, we're going to sing a song. For those of us who, who are children of God, we want to praise Him this morning.
for the greatness of his presence. And for those who are not but wish to become so, we're going to have shepherds down here at the front that can talk to you about how to do that this very day. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Let's stand and sing.